The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 125 of the podcast or you're joining us live here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, February the 3rd, a very cloudy and dreary Sunday uh, here in Florida, but I'm sure the weather is still, still better than uh, up in frigid New Jersey, which is where my trusty co-host is joining us from back after a week off last week to prepare for his new professional endeavor. Please let me introduce Jeff, the animal Wilson. Jeff, how you feeling on this Sunday morning, my friend? We're we're getting at we're we're getting at this uh, uh, bright and early this time. What's going on, man? Yeah, dude, definitely wanted to uh, beat my sister, bringing over my nephews and niece to babysit, but uh, it's fucking cold. It sucks. Last night it was negative one, so Ugh. hurts to not even be able to hit zero, Bill. Ugh. Yeah, that that makes my bones hurt just hearing about it. Like, that's too cold. That's nobody should have to deal with that. I don't know why. I don't know why I lived in New York and New Jersey area for like thirty years. Like now that I've been living in Florida for a couple of years, um, I can't see ever going back and dealing with that shit again. It's just, I mean, it, it, don't get me wrong. There's, it, there's a whole new set of problems down here. There's like hurricanes and probably the worst drivers in the country. Um, it was actually Florida was voted the most dangerous state for pedestrians because we just, apparently we just run people over here. Like <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Um, well, Bill, people should be more aware of their surroundings. There's a car coming at me. I'm going to wait until it's done passing and then sprint across the street like a normal person. Yeah, so it goes it goes both ways. Like the same stupid people who are driving cars are also walking around. So yeah. <laughs> it's you know, you got to be more cautious when you're in control of a of two tons of metal as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, I for me there could be a there could be a a flashing sign that says it's safe and red lights in every direction. I'm still looking, right? Yeah. I don't trust anybody. And I think that's the part of me um, that's ingrained in me from being a New Yorker. Like, I don't trust anyone. Um, so I'm looking every single way and at, at every intersection. And when I'm driving, even if I have a green light, I'm looking down the other streets at the people <laughs> who have red lights because I don't trust that they'll stop at them. Um, because people are stupid. Um, <laughs> in any case, let's, um, uh, let's get into some MMA and then don't let me forget. I want to, I want to do a little booze talk this week, which, uh, we've, we've kind of gotten away from the last couple of weeks, but um, I have something I want to talk about that I'm kind of excited about. So UFC fight night, 144 from Fortaleza, Brazil. Um, this was the second card on ESPN plus and, I don't want to waste too much time shitting on ESPN plus, but it is fucking garbage, Jeff. Um, I, it's like, I don't mind paying for another thing. Like I pay for fight pass, you know, I buy the occasional pay-per-view. Um, so ESPN plus I'm like, eh, it's another thing to pay for, but it's only five bucks a month. It's only $50 for the year. If you pay for the year up front, but they make it so challenging to use. Um, so there's no smart TV app for it. So there's nothing built in. So you have to have an extra thing like a PS4 or, um, you know, a, a Roku or, or something else to be able to use it. Or you can cast it from your phone onto your TV, but th this shit never works. Right. Um, so I tried to cast it onto my TV and only the audio came through and, I wound up just watching last night's card on my laptop. And what I'll probably end up doing is, is connecting my laptop to the TV. But if I'm going to do that, I may as well just use a free stream. 
um, because that's what you do with the free streams anyway. You just connect the laptop up to the TV. So um, why am I going to pay for something extra when it's it's not even more convenient? Like if it was easy to use and it was more convenient, fine, I'll pay for it. Um, so it's definitely not the money, but it's, you know, it's got to be functional. Um, so I think the ESPN plus thing is kind of a miss and I, it's probably worth it more if you watch other sports, I don't watch other sports. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's something you would be into Jeff. They got a lot of soccer content on there, but I don't know how readily available that stuff is on, on TV either. Like I, I wish I could just pay the extra money and just have like they just show the fights on TV. That would be ideal. And then they have commercials. So it cuts off in between rounds and we don't get to hear, um, you know, the corner talk or anything like that. So if you're, if you're paying for an extra service, you should at least, you know, I'd say like charge me $10 a month and don't play any ads. I would prefer that. Um, uh, that would be fine. You know, I'm fine paying the 10 bucks a month or whatever it is for, fight pass eight bucks a month nine i don't even know what it is it's it that's probably bad that i don't even know what i'm paying <laughs> i don't even know what i'm paying for this uh streaming service but i don't mind it because you get to hear the corners talk or you get to hear the commentators in between rounds um you know they keep playing the same commercials over and over uh in between and then uh with the with these streaming apps like the commercials are always a louder volume now i'm just sounding like an old man i don't want to i don't want to um complain too much about it i i did enjoy the actual card so um a- any thoughts on espn plus the app before we move on jeff i know you you're not yet a subscriber yeah bill um yeah i was not super excited to hear about this app um so bill i'm not gonna pay for it i'm just gonna stream um you know for me it was a lot easier when when everything was on fs1 or fs2 mm-hmm. i just have to like flip channels but espn plus is not even a channel bill espn most of their channels are on tv why is espn plus not like yeah i don't understand this bill and they have like 12 channels too yeah, <laughs> yeah can't... There's espn there's espn espanol espn one two three three is like i think it's a website um i I remember i used to watch a lot of soccer on it Mm -hmm. but like just why is it not as available as the rest of the espn network is my question yeah Um, there's even an espn for college sports which i i never understood why people are so into college sports Uh, i mean i get it if you like went to the college right um like when I was in college, my school was in the um, the March Madness, and like it was kind of fun to watch watch the game like with everybody together at the campus center. But like I don't give a fuck what they're doing now. I'm not I'm not yeah. there anymore. Um, yeah. But in any case, one thing that was awesome about ESPN, and this is what I liked about the Big Fox cards too, is um, and you didn't even realize this last night. Um, the, the card started super early. So yeah. pre, the early prelim started at five. The main card started at eight. This thing was a wrap by like 1030. Um, and that's East, East coast time, which is fucking fantastic. Um, I, I'm sure the, you know, I know we have a lot of people listening from over in Europe. Um, I know they probably appreciate it cause they got to stay up till like three or four in the morning to watch these things. So you know, if they're only staying up till one or two, that's not too bad. You can stay up till one or two and then, you know, be functional the next day. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely appreciate when these cards wrap up early because when it gets to be like 1230, one in the morning and you're trying to stay awake for the main event and you're like you're hating life at, you know, every time they're they're playing another promo clip in between the fights. Um, but this was great. The pacing was great. Um they didn't try to throw too many extra things in like they did with the last card where they had like Trevor Whitman talking in between rounds and they had, um, you know, all these other people and like the ESPN people making appearances and stuff. I felt like it flowed much better. And, um, of course the fights were great. So, uh, overall excellent card, you know, all the negativity of ESPN plus, um, behind us, we're not going to even, uh, dwell on that because, uh, I don't plan on paying for it. So I don't have to be mad about it. Um, 
the the fights were phenomenal. So let's start at the top and work our way down. The main event <clears throat> was a rematch between bantamweights Marlon Marais and Rafael Sunsell. So these are two guys who I guess had both been overlooked for the title for the longest time, right? Because you know, you have all these these um alpha personalities who had been kind of dominating the top of the division in TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt and Dominic Cruz. And you had guys like Marlon Marais and Rafael Sunsau who were just destroying people in this division and, um, you know, getting overlooked. Uh, a Sunsau has won 11 of his last 12 fights uh, going into this. His only loss was a decision loss to the champ, TJ Dillashaw. Um, and then he won four fights in a row after losing a decision to the champion and he still didn't get the rematch. Uh, Marlon Marais knocking people out left and right. He can't get a title shot. It's because these guys are very, you know, they're both phenomenal fighters. Um, you know, on any given day, either one of them could be the best in the world, but they're just so forgettable as people. Um, you know, the, the marketability is not there. I mean, yeah. cha I changed my mind, Jeff. <laughs> am I wrong or, or am I hitting a nail on the head here? I don't think you're wrong, dude, but what they lack in personality, I think they make up for in that cage, dude. Marlon Mohias just, he was looking like he was in a little bit of trouble in the beginning, and then it, the fight went to the ground, and I started questioning why Mohias went for a guillotine from the bottom, and then he rolls Asunsao uh, over, so even if the guillotine had failed, which it didn't, mm -hmm. he ended up uh, tapping a Sun Tzu, um, even if it had failed, he still would have had the ground and pound option, which I thought was brilliant on his part. So good fight from Mahez. Bill, you were a little concerned heading into this one. You know? Yeah. Um, and and Bill, what, what was your main concern if Mahez had lost in this one? Well, so the way I looked at it, Marlon Marais was on the verge of a title shot with that nasty head kick knockout of Jimmy Rivera. Cause Jimmy Rivera had like 20 wins in a row or something like that. Marlon Rice was like, that's cute. You can't last 30 seconds with me and just puts him to sleep. Now, if he comes in and loses a second time to Rafael Asuncao, and it, it was a close decision the first time they fought. I actually remember thinking that, that Marlon had won the fight, but I, I can't remember it clearly enough to say, for sure. But if he loses two fights to a Sun Tzu, plus this division is in a huge traffic jam right now at the top because of TJ Dillashaw moving down uh, to fights Henry Cejudo. Um, you know, that, that puts Marlon Marais on the, on the shelf for at least two years uh, in terms of getting a title shot back because, you know, he's lost to the same guy twice. You can't justify, especially if a Sun Tzu came and won the title, you can't put Marlon Marais in there against him anytime soon. And that wouldn't happen until Dillashaw rematches Cejudo, which I believe has to be the next fight because, you know, Dillashaw moved down and lost to the champion a weight class below. Um, so it's only fair for Cejudo to move up and, and get that rematch um, at, and get it for, you know, TJ's belt. So big traffic jam in this division right now. Um, it's not a good spot for, you know, guys like a Sun Tzu and Marais um, who are just winning fights and not causing any drama. Um, but, you know, that's the name of the game. It's sports entertainment at the end of the day. You got to feel for these guys. Uh, but, you know, they, they got to pull their weight uh, as far as, you know, bringing in the dollars for the organization as well. You can't just have like a phenomenal highlight reel anymore and, you know, get title shots. Um, you know, that's like very 2005. Um, and you know, you know, this, this sport has evolved now and it, you know, it's on ESPN and it's, it's getting into the mainstream. You have to have mainstream appeal and that's, you know, that's just part of it. And I think Marlon Marais, um, has the potential to break through that you know, with his highlight reel and, you know, you know, he's very humble. I liked the call out of TJ Dillashaw that he did at the end of the fight. So first of all, uh, as you know, Marlon Marais had a very shitty week. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, so to speak, um, he said, 
<laughs> when he was interviewed by Michael Bisping, he said, we almost lost this main event because I had diarrhea all week. <laughs> Something about a mosquito. I mean, he kept running away from the microphone and like, I almost didn't pick up that he said this. And then, <laughs> and then uh, the way he called out Dillashaw was, TJ, I don't think you deserve to fight me because of your last performance when you went down and you were you want to go fight little boys. Uh, I think I need to go and fight somebody else. That was the perfect way to call out TJ. If he had gotten in there and say, come on, I really deserve this. Um, it, you know, he did the right thing. He's like, no, fuck you, TJ. You went down and you lost to a smaller guy. I'm going to go fight somebody else. I don't care about your belt. Um because it's not even legitimate anymore. Um, that was the right way to do it. That was the right move. Will it pay off? I don't know. I still kind of think Cejudo uh, is going to get the shot at Dillashaw's belt. Um, so that means probably, you know, a good nine months before Marais, uh is going to get a title shot if he wants to wait that out um, or not. I, I mean, I think he should. He definitely deserves it. He's only 30 years old, so, you know, nine months uh, on the bench to, to get that belt, um, maybe worth it. Uh, what are your thoughts on the post fight and, uh, everything that happened there after Jeff? Yeah, dude, I thought my eyes was actually really entertaining with that, uh, with the whole diarrhea spiel. Um, <laughs> and dude, I, it was just so funny the way he said it, like, cause he was so nonchalant about it. Um, uh, so it just added to everything, but dude, um, I think you're right. I think if you're Marlon Mojais, you, you kind of just wait. Uh, backstage until um, TJ handles his business with uh, Henry Cejudo because you know God forbid something were to happen like uh, like it did to Frankie Edgar against Brian Ortega you know all that work all those knockouts would be undone mm -hmm. um, and I think that if you're half out Sun Tzu, honestly Bill I'd like to see a Sun Tzu versus Cody Garbrandt I think that's a fun fight. I think that if worse comes to worse and Marlon Mahez for some reason can't fight TJ again, um, mm -hmm. if Hafa Asunsao wins, you, you have TJ Asunsao too. Um, the only problem is if Cody beats Asunsao, I don't see him fighting TJ again while he's champion. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Cody Garbrandt is going to be fighting at UFC 235. Um, I mean, Asunsao is 36 years old, and he he's very weathered. You know, he's got over 30 professional fights. He's been doing this a long time. Um, you know, not to say that he's not the same fighter anymore, but, uh, you know, he, he's looking a little worse for wear. Uh, I don't know. It, you know, maybe the timing lines up. If Cody uh, wins his next fight, uh, it, first of all, if Cody loses his next fight, um, he's, he's going to be in really bad shape. You know, he's looking at, you know, being the guy that the UFC was was looking to make like one of the faces of the organization to a guy that's going to be, you know, on the prelims. So a lot at stake for Cody Garbrandt in his next fight. But yeah, I like that fight. Um, Marlon Marais, man, his last three fights, he's been in that cage for less than five minutes. Uh, knocked out Aljamain Sterling, knocked out Jimmy Rivera, uh, submitted Rafael Asuncao. He's finishing guys that don't get finished. Uh, in the upper echelon of this division, you know, nobody's finishing Aljamain Sterling. Nobody's beaten Jimmy Rivera in 20 fights. Uh, Rafael Asuncao hasn't been finished in like six or seven years or something ridiculous like that. Um, and, and he's doing it in like obscenely fast amounts of time. Um, and, and I'm also a big fan of that top half guard guillotine. Uh, as you well know, Jeff. Um, so yeah, hopefully, you know, big things on the horizon for Marlon Marais. He's a guy who always stays in shape. So, you know, even if they make the Cejudo fight, maybe he could be ready to stand in, um, in case somebody gets hurt or something like that and pulls out. Um, you know, we know TJ's had some big injuries in the past and he's had to pull out of fights, you know, maybe we get Marlon Marais versus Henry Cejudo, uh, at one thirty-five. That would be a fun fucking fight. Um, yeah. I, I think um, it would be interesting to see, you know, how Marlon's takedown defense holds up against an Olympic gold medalist wrestler. Um, in any case, let's move on. We spent a lot of time on this one. So the co-main event, um, you know, that had to be the best reception from the crowd. There was almost a feeling of like after Aldo knocked out Moicano, there was almost a feeling of like, wow, the card's over. Um, yeah, because there was just so much excitement and so much adrenaline in that crowd. Um, 
to see a vintage Jose Aldo performance uh, and then a vintage Jose Aldo jumping over the cage and running into the crowd. Um, you know, for those who remember the WEC days when he used to do that, um, when, when he was just a destroyer, um, you know, it was very nostalgic for a lot of people. So Aldo had a hard time in the beginning of this fight getting in on the range of Moicano, who is fucking huge. I think he's 5'10 at featherweight. Um, you know, and I remember back in the day when it, nobody was really bigger than Aldo. I mean, he he wasn't he wasn't like really oversized for the division or anything, but all these guys were about the same size. Uh, and now you have guys like Moicano and Brian Ortega in there that and Max Holloway that are just so huge for this division. And um, but man, what a performance! Just like a beautiful display of aggression by Jose Aldo in that second round. Um, an awesome combination. I mean, he was hitting some nasty body shots, um, which is what he used to to put Jeremy Stevens away, and um. Man, knocked out Moicano, who had never been knocked out. Um, just I can't say enough about the performance of Jose Aldo last night, and you know the the way it ended, and then him jumping into the crowd and everything. It was a perfect moment for him. Uh, so, give me your thoughts on this one, Jeff. Yeah, dude. I thought Moicano actually started off really well. He was using his jab, using his range, and uh, it looked like Aldo was having a hard time getting inside that range. But then in the second round, dude. He just came out super aggressive. Even into that first round, I think he had Moicano hurt. Mm -hmm. And, dude, in that second round, it, I think it was a left hook that really stunned Moicano. And then I think it was a right overhand right or a right hook that just finished the fight for Aldo, man. I loved it. I love seeing the aggression. It, it reminded me of, like, WEC Jose Aldo, like you were saying, man, when he was, like, flying at people, um, kicking people's legs out from under them. I love it, dude. I think... Although I don't know what happened, but something lit a fire under his ass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It, it was awesome to see. Um, yeah. And, you know, Moicano is going to be fine. Uh, he'll bounce back from this. You know, his only two losses are to Brian Ortega and Jose Aldo, you know, two of the best featherweights on the planet. So um, in my eyes, the next thing is Aldo versus Ortega. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I want to see. Um, that's the fight to make. Um, you know, Brian Ortega even tweeted right after this, let's start negotiating. Um, so I can only assume that's going to be next. And I I'm excited for that, man. You know, Ortega's got high level jujitsu. Um, but we saw that, you know, he's got, you know, he's got some vulnerability with the stand up, as was exposed, uh, by Max Holloway. And if you have vulnerability standing up, uh, you don't want to be standing across from Jose Aldo, who, you know, is also a legitimate Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Let's not forget. Um, I don't know how his jiu-jitsu is these days, if it can hold up to, you know, the current standard of jiu-jitsu black belts, because it's kind of, you know, if you got your black belt 10 years ago, it's different than a black belt today. You know, jiu-jitsu evolved. So I don't know how much he's kept up uh, with his jiu-jitsu. You know, we saw... The result of this when BJ Penn fought Ryan Hall, you know, there's an old school Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who, you know, that that's a top pressure black belt um, who can pass your guard and, you know, make you suffer with top pressure and then submit you. But, you know, these newer guys, you know, they're they're dangerous everywhere, you know, uh, big leg lock games and submissions off the back and everything like that. So, uh I am really curious about that fight. I really want to see it. I hope it gets done. Uh, and then we saw, you know, Damian Maya still doing the damn thing, 41 years old, uh, dragging Lyman Good to the ground and and then letting him up and just choking him standing. Um, very rare to see that you're able to, to choke somebody uh, standing up like that. But he, he anchored himself with a body triangle. He sunk in that rear naked choke. And Damian Maya is just, you know, doing what, you pretty much expect like if he's going to win the fight, this is how he's going to do it. Um, no surprise there. I thought Lyman good would be, you know, too big and too powerful and his takedown defense would be too good. Um, but then when I saw Damian Maya, this is when something clicked for me in my head. When I saw Damian Maya get interviewed by Michael Bisbing and he was bigger than Bisbing who is, 
you know, and Bisping's retired. So, you know, he has, you know, he's earned the right to, you know, get a little bigger uh, if he wants to. Uh, but he's kept himself in great shape. You know, Bisping has fought at 205. And Maya's standing next to him and looks like twice as wide as him. And he's making 170. I'm like, how the fuck is this guy making 170 pounds? Um, he is huge. Um, so I think that helps him, you know, drag these guys to the ground at welterweight because he doesn't have a lot of wrestling tools. You know, he has two ways to get you to the ground. He's got a single leg that he transfers to a double leg once he locks your leg up and he pulls half guard. So he attacks one leg either from the top or the bottom. He doesn't have, you know, like chain wrestling. He doesn't have the wrestling of like a Ben Askren or, you know, a George St. Pierre, he's got two ways to get you to the ground and he's a master at them. And then once he gets you there, he's just wraps around you like an anaconda and chokes the shit out of you. Uh, so give me your thoughts on uh, Damian Maya's uh, size and performance. Yeah, Bill. Um, I was actually pretty surprised at how big Maya was looking in there. He looked a little bit bigger than Lyman good actually. And, Dude, um, I've talked about this a couple of times, is you got to do what got you to the dance, man. And for Demi and Maya, it's that slick jitsu that he's got. Um, you know, he's he hasn't added to his striking. Well, he has a little bit, but he hasn't done anything different in his last couple of fights, even against Tyron Woodley. When it wasn't working, Bill, he still went for those two takedowns that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously, you know, Tyron Woodley – different level you know he's a great fighter and um you know it just goes to show that how good demi and maya is yeah because and it also shows how good woodley is because maya can hit these takedowns on basically anybody else um you know mm -hmm. we've seen him do it do it to carlos condit we see him do it to other legendary welterweights mm -hmm. and then you know against woodley it really didn't work but again woodley he was prepared for that stuff. But Damian Maya, like you said, he's mastered these two takedowns. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so hard to fight him is because he hasn't really gotten distracted by adding other things to his game. He's just really focused on mastering the things that he's good at. Mm -hmm. And Lyman Good just didn't have an answer for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, with Damian Maya, like any, any high-level wrestler will say, like, you know, this is not the way to go about right. getting somebody on the ground, but, um, <laughs> it, you know, it works because he's just so tenacious with it and he's so good at it. You know, he's practiced that one thing over and over and over again. And it, you know, it works unless he's against like a high level wrestler, like Tyron Woodley, but even with Woodley, like Woodley couldn't put a lot of offense together, but because he was so concerned about that, one yeah. or two, you know, those two ways that Maya has to get him to the ground and he doesn't want to be on the ground with him. Um, rightfully so. Uh, cause once he gets a hold of you, it's, it's going to be a rough night. Um, so, you know, Lyman good. I think he'll bounce back from this. He's an exciting fighter. Um, yeah. he, you know, he'll, he'll end up on the prelims in his next fight. And, um, you know, maybe we get, uh, Lyman good against Max Griffin. I think that would be a fun fight. Um, that, you know, they're both coming off of losses now, technically. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll get to see that. Um, I, I think that's a that's a good fight to make. But let's uh, let's move on down the line here to, I think it was one of the more exciting fights on the card. Charles Oliveira and David Tamer. This was just this fight was a lot of fun. You know, after the initial you know, fouls right off the bat. So Tamer throws a head kick at Oliveira and then right off the head kick, like just jabs a finger in each eye, I think. Um, you know, he just, <clears throat> it was bad. And uh, it was so bad that uh, Jaron Vallel, the, the referee, deducted a point. And he, he said, you know, I know it wasn't intentional, David, but it impacted the fight. I have to take a point away. So, David, I, and I like that. I think um, you, you, I think that's the right move because I think it'll make guys a little more – because Tamer was even saying, if it's only my first offense, like, 
that that makes it seem like it's okay to get away with one eye poke, which it's not because it affects, you know, you're affecting someone's vision. Um, I, I think it should always be a point taken away um, for the first offense with an eye poke. Um, you know, groin strike is different. You know, that's a little uh, harder to control if you're going for inside leg kicks and stuff. I think you can get a warning with that and, you know, guys recover from that. But an eye poke, you know, Oliveira may not have been able to see out of one of those eyes very well for the rest of that fight. Um, but yeah, it, this was a case of, and I was talking about this last week, Jeff, um, the fluidity of Charles Oliveira against the rigid kickboxing of David Tamer. Um, you know, not that it's a bad style, but Oliveira just showed that he was able to flow a little bit better, even on the feet, um, than, than David Tamer was. And, you know, David Tamer did a good job of keeping Oliveira on the outside for a while and, uh, you know, not brawling with him. But, you know, Oliveira just willed himself on the inside and, you know, picked him apart with some awesome Muay Thai combinations. Um, it showed off some really great striking, knocked him out on the feet. Um, this should have been a uh, TKO stoppage when Dam David Tamer turned his back and shelled up against the cage. You got to stop the fight there. Um but luckily for Charles Oliveira, he was able to knock out David Tamer and then still get the submission. <laughs> he got that um, anaconda choke to add to his tally of the most submissions in UFC history. So a um, little bit of a uh, rant there, but uh, give me your thoughts on this one, Jeff. Yeah, Bill, you know, I appreciate that the ref didn't stop the fight right away. Um, while I don't disagree with you, I think that he could have stopped it when Tamer turned his back. But he gave Tamer a chance, and mm -hmm. I like that because Tamer did turn around and start going for like a clinch slash takedown. Mm -hmm. And that's when Oliveira locked up that anaconda. But, dude, um, I, I was really impressed with Oliveira's striking. I think it still needs a lot of work. Um, but compared to his first three UFC fights where he threw like maybe four punches combined because mm -hmm. um, he had no striking at all. I think he's come a long way, man. And, you know, Oliveira, I've been a fan of his since his first couple of fights. I, I like his jujitsu. I like how aggressive he is with it. And um, I like how he chains his submissions together. If one fails, he's immediately going for something else. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, dude, he just looked great in there. Um, I think that Tamer just had a hard time with Oliveira's reach because Oliveira, I think, is a huge lightweight. Mm -hmm. um and he just tamer just couldn't get inside of him and like mm -hmm. you said he's got this rigid kickboxing style where you know everything is right down the middle you're not going to see him throw too many looping punches you're not going to see him throw punches at like weird angles mm -hmm. and against mm -hmm. someone as long as Oliveira with the reach advantage i think it just didn't work um and, you know, I like David Tamer. He's a really exciting fighter to watch. And I'd like to see him go up against someone who's going to stay in the pocket with him, who's uh, who's going to be happy to trade with him. You know, with Oliveira, with the reach and everything, he was able to move away a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say maybe like a Paul Felder would be a fun fight for David Tamer. Um, yeah. I, I think Felder has a fight coming up, but that'd be something interesting. I'd like to see Oliveira stay at lightweight. Um, I know he was campaigning for Dana to let him go back to featherweight. You know, he had a lot of trouble making weight there. And then, you know, let's not forget he was submitted a couple of times down there. Anthony Pettis and Ricardo Lamas, um, back-to-back -back guillotines against Oliveira. We know how good his jujitsu is, but that weight cut was really depleting him too much. I like him at lightweight. I know he had a little bit of a tough time, uh, when he first moved up, but you know, I think now he's adjusted, you know, he's, he's put on an appropriate amount of size. And, um, I, I think he could really be a contender in this division, especially, you know, at the top, it's very, uh, grappling heavy. Um, you, you know, you got some strong wrestlers, of course, with, uh, you know, Khabib at the top and Tony Ferguson and guys like that. Um, I don't, I don't know what's next for Oliveira. I think he's, I think he's throwing his name in the mix here though. Um, you know, I don't think he he's ready for like that top of the top, like Poirier, Ferguson. Um, I'll even throw Aya Quinta in there, but maybe like a Kevin Lee, I think would be a fun fight. Um, so let's see what's next for him. But I think it should definitely be a, a top guy. You know, that's four wins in a row and, and he's that's four submission wins in a row. Um, so 
yeah, big things for Charles Oliveira. And then we got Mr. Johnny Walker. Um, man, this guy is a spectacle. I mean, he comes out dancing. He was like grinding on the referee uh, while he was getting a Vaseline put on his face. Uh, he's like so relaxed, like leaning on the top of the cage. He's humongous. Um, he's ripped. Um, he, you know, he comes out dancing and all of this. And then he just smokes Justin Ledette in 15 seconds. And, you know, let's not understate what an accomplishment this is. Justin Ledette is basically a heavyweight who moved down to 205. Um, and he was doing well, like knocking people out at heavyweight. And, um, you know, Johnny Walker made it look like he didn't even belong in there with him. Um, you know, Ledette was, was doing very well at, at heavyweight and, um, yeah, man, 15 seconds, Johnny Walker. So he's throws a hook kick to a spinning back fist and then an almost illegal kick to follow it up and then drops a few bombs from up top. And I think they said the fifth fastest knockout in light heavyweight history, which is kind of a peculiar stat to say. But um, in any case, give me your thoughts on Johnny Walker, Jeff. Bill, you know I like this guy, man. Ever since that first... That last episode we did with uh, Kyle Steele, mm -hmm. dude, I told you I was a fan of his. Uh, I just I like the cut of his jib, um, dude. Johnny Walker, man, he's he's just he's entertaining to watch. Um, you know, I, I I like he's got this like it factor. Um, you know, like I said, I like the cut of his jib, and dude, the way he fights, he looks so calm in there. The way he moves, it was mm -hmm. like you know, it was just so calm. It, he wasn't putting a lot of effort into not being in front of Justin Ledette because, you know, we're talking about the strikes that he did land, but Justin Ledette, the way Johnny Walker was moving, Ledette wasn't connecting like at all. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Walker ended up hitting this like backwards question mark kick. It, it was, it was fucking cool, dude. Um, like I said, I like Johnny Walker. I like to see him take a fight outside of Brazil. Um, just for like American fans to get to see him because he's really, really entertaining. Um, mm -hmm. So far, he's only fought in Brazil. Um, I'd like to see how he does in uh, in enemy territory, so to speak. Yeah, especially after saying like, "I want to fight Russians and Americans." Um, <laughs> probably not the, but then he's like, "I mean, this guy is huge." He's like, "I want to fight again right now." Does anybody here want to fight me? <laughs> <laughs> And the crowd was silent, but I think that's largely because they didn't understand what he said because he said it in English. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think if they bring this guy up the right way, um, he definitely has superstar potential, you know, obviously don't throw him to a Jan Blahovich or a Alexander Gustafson right away, you know, right. kind of ease him into the deep end a little bit. Even, you know, I, I would have been a little concerned if I was the UFC giving him to uh, Justin Ledette, you know, who's coming down from heavyweight and is a very technical boxer. Um, but, you know, he passed that test with flying colors. So you, you got to kind of be careful what you give this guy next if you really want to build him up. You know, don't throw him to a wrestler. Um, you know, we don't really know what his ground game is like. Um, he has been submitted in the past. He's also been knocked out in the past. Um, uh, you know, it's been a long time, and I don't know what he's been doing differently, but it seems to be working. You know, 26 years old, um, you know, definitely the the ability for the UFC to have a, a, a young Brazilian star, uh, which I don't think they've had for a little while. Um so it, it'd be interesting. I'd like to see down the line, maybe a Johnny Walker, Luke Rockhold fight. Uh, I think because their, their striking is very similar. You know, Rockhold likes to throw those question mark kicks a lot. Um, so that'd be interesting. Not yet. Definitely. Uh, especially because Rockhold's grappling. Um, but yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot on the horizon for Mr. Johnny Walker. Um, so let's move on. Um, 
Lavina Souza getting a split decision over Sarah Frota. I don't think this should have been a split decision. I thought it was very clear that Souza won the fight. Um, and Frota missed weight by seven pounds, um, which is just unacceptable. You know, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago to the Southpaw outlaw who said, you know, you know, her words, not ours, that it's unacceptable for women to make, to not make weight, you know, even if they're experiencing certain biological functions that happen every 28 days for women. Um, and, and seven pounds is just that, you know, you're in the next weight class. I, I think at a certain point, um, you know, the, the purse deductions are not enough. So she gave up 40% of her purse, which, you know, usually it's 30. Uh, I guess there was some extra negotiation on the part of Sousa's team. And, um, you know, she gave up 40%, but I think there should be a point deducted in the fight. I think this is the way to do it. You know, especially if you're more than a pound over, you know, take a point away, you know, make it impact the fight. So people are second guessing it and, you know, maybe moving up like Frota should be fighting, at flyweight there's no reason for her to be cutting the straw weight um but credit to soza she went in there with a much larger fighter and used her judo uh to put her on her back and control the ground and you know almost choked her out several times especially at the end of that second round um you know you could argue a 10-8 round there for souza uh give me your thoughts on this one the the weight and uh, and the fight jeff yeah, Bill. Um, I agree with you, man. The the missing weight thing is unacceptable. Um, if I were Souza and her camp, I don't think I would have even taken the fight, dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think the UFC would have compensated her anyway for making weight and all that. But still, I I think she has no obligation to take a fight against someone who weighed in at a weight class above her. And then, Bill, when I was watching the fight. Froda looked like she was two weight classes bigger. It looked like a bantam weight against mm -hmm. a strong weight in there. Mm -hmm. Just unacceptable, dude. Um, but credit to Souza, dude. The weight advantage, I mean, I don't know how much of an effect it had, but Souza looked like she was unbelievably strong, man. Um, she was throwing Froda around, even on the ground. She was um, passing the guard, um, throwing Froda's legs off to the side. It, it was awesome, dude. Um, and good for Souza. She took the fight against a bigger, stronger opponent, and she went in there and, and dominated. And that's that's why um, that's why grappling is so important, because you can mm -hmm. do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, um for Frota, this is a, a big miss because, you know, she came in off that contender series and looked like a killer and she was undefeated. Uh, she's got the face tattoos. Like she's a terrifying woman. Um, and, you know, she's coming in here with her UFC debut and, you know, missing weight and then losing a decision. Like she couldn't have fallen off any further. Um, you know, if she had gone in and made weight and put on an exciting fight and still lost, okay. But, you know, you, you miss weight and then you go and lose the fight to, to someone that you're, you know, probably 25 pounds larger than on fight night. Um, you know, that's a big miss. So, I don't know, maybe she can become one of these mumble rappers um, with the face tattoos. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe she has a... Um, a career in that. So in any case, uh, I want to speed things up a little bit here. Marcus Perez and Anthony Hernandez, very exciting fight that ended in an Anaconda choke from Perez, which is kind of his specialty, but this fight was very back and forth in the first round. These guys both landed some big shots on each other. Um, uh, stop me if you, if you have anything you want to interject Jeff, but I'm just going to speed up to, uh, to get through a couple of these. And then, uh, Mara Romero Borrella, with the split decision win over uh, Talia Santos. Uh, that was a very close fight, uh, very back and forth, uh, you know, very technical on the ground, but, um, you know, not, not very memorable per se. And then uh, your pick last week for uh, the fight of the night, Jeff, Tiago Alves and Max Griffin. Now, a lot of people upset about this decision. Um, I, I know you went back and, and caught this one, Jeff. Um, I have an opinion on it, but I want to start with you on this one. Uh, give me your thoughts on on Alves and Griffin here. So, Bill, I know what everybody else was thinking because of Twitter and everything. 
but I was trying to go into this with an unbiased opinion. So I was like, you know what? Let me watch the fight, give it a chance, and then after that, I'll make my decision. So, mm -hmm. dude, um, honestly, at the end of this, I thought Max Griffin won the fight. Um, in that third round, he was wrestling Tiago Alves. Alves spent most of the round on his back or trying to get um, – Max Griffin off of him. Mm -hmm. um, the first round, I gave the first round of 10-8 to Max Griffin because, and here's my logic, I don't know if this counts for anything, you know, I'm just some guy, but in my head, I was like, if that fight had gone on 10 more seconds, Tiago Alves would have been finished uh -huh. um, at the end of that. Of okay. that first round. So I gave it 10 8 to Max Griffin. Um, you know, Tiago Alves definitely won the second round. But dude, can we just talk for a sec about how exciting this fight was to watch, man? Mm -hmm. It was so back and forth. I mean, I'm a little upset that Max Griffin didn't get the decision, but dude, what a fight these guys put on last night. Yeah, for sure. It, it was a very exciting fight. And, you know, you predicted that this one would be exciting. Um, you predicted that somebody would go down. Both of these guys went down <laughs> a couple of times. Uh, neither of them stayed down, which made it an even more exciting fight. So, look, um, Max Griffin won the fight. If you're going strictly by how a fight should be judged, um, you know, he tallied more points and that's the way he fights. He's a, he's a point fighter, which is not very exciting. And he scores a lot of points moving backwards as well. Um, which, you know, he did a lot. So, uh, I scored the first round. You made a great point. If it, if that first round had gone on, Griffin could have finished him. I scored the first round 10, nine for Griffin, uh, second round 10, nine for Alves. And then, I thought Griffin had done enough to get that third round, but I do understand where the judges are coming from. A lot of those takedowns were in desperation because he didn't want to get hit by Alves anymore, who had figured out that if I just walk through a couple of punches, I can land some big shots. And I think Tiago did more damage with the shots that he landed in, the, in that second round. Um, I mean, look, at the end of the day, if you're scoring the thing legitimately, uh, Max Griffin won in terms of points, but he fights very safe. And this has been a big problem with him. Um, you know, it's the same way he fought Mike Perry, uh, straight counter punches right down the pipe, moving backwards, uh, not getting hit a lot, uh, hitting his opponent every time they come in, you know, Alves couldn't land that famous low kick in the beginning of the fight because he was getting countered with the right straight every single time, like clockwork, you know, he had to just eat the punches and, and, and move right through the counter strikes and Max Griffin to, to make it more of a brawl. Um, so look, uh, the, the way it happened with the decision and it was a split decision was, you know, Max Griffin's point style was overlooked by the aggression of Tiago Alves. It looked to the judges like Alves wanted it more and he was, you know, weathering the storm and, and pushing the pace and being the aggressor. And, you know, some of the takedowns from Griffin looked like they were in desperation because he didn't want to get hit anymore. And, you know, that's not going to impress some people. Plus, you know, Brazilian fighter in Brazil. So when this fight ended, I remember thinking, Max Griffin won that fight, but I could see Alves getting the decision. So I, I understand why it happened. It wasn't the right call, but it happened. What can you do? Um, so all that being said, I want Max Griffin and Lyman good. I think that'll be a fun fight. Uh, you know, they'll stand and trade and, it, you know, it'll be exciting for everybody. I don't know what you do next with Tiago Alves. Um, you know, he took a lot of damage in that fight. He's not getting any younger. Um, and, you know, he's really going to struggle with a lot of the wrestlers at the top of this division right now. So I don't know if a run at the title is necessarily in his future, but, you know, this guy has really got nothing left to prove. I mean, he's fought for a title in his career. He's had an outstanding career, always one of the most exciting fighters. Um, he's great at, like, losing a first round and then figuring out, like, how to hurt the guy back uh, later on in the fight. Uh, that's what Alves is great at. Uh, any other thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, I'd like to see Max Griffin just work on his cardio a little bit. He was really, really gassed out in that second round, mm -hmm. and I think that hurt him a lot. Yeah, potentially, but um, you know, I'd be gassed out too if Tiago Alves was landing some of those big bombs and kicks on my face. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I think the the wrestling wore him out too because Max Griffin not a wrestler, um, but you know he was forced. 
to do that because you know the pressure of Alves. He's like, man, I got to slow this guy down somehow because he's just walking through all these punches, which is usually what Max Griffin uses to keep people away, and it wasn't working. Um, so my pick last week, Jeff, for the fight to watch was uh, Jair Rosenstrike making his UFC debut against Junior Albini, and in the first round, um, it. I was concerned because I was building up Rosenstrike and then he, he gets taken down by Albini, like off the bat. And Albini is not known for his wrestling. Uh, Albini holds him down. Uh, Rosenstrike able to get back to guard um, and, and then stand up eventually. And you could tell Albini did not want to be standing with him. Although Albini did land a big shot at the end of the first round. And then in the second round, Rosenstrike is having none of the grappling and, he lands a big head kick on Albini and puts him down hard, sends him flying across the cage, follows up with a couple of punches. And, um, you know, we have a devastating guy at heavyweight right here. Rosenstrike, um, you know, now 6-0 in MMA. I think he has something like 50 kickboxing matches. He's got a bunch of Muay Thai fights. Um, it's interesting because he's a Muay Thai fighter, but he's got – power in his hands which you usually don't see from muay thai fighters and i was talking about this last week the reason for that being is um punches even if they're knockdowns from punches are not scored very highly in muay thai you know you score points in muay thai with knees and kicks and uh throws and dumps um so uh rosenstrike is gonna be an exciting fighter if you give him the right matchups um, you know, down the line, maybe a Rosenstrike Francis and Ganu fight would be fun. Uh, I don't think he's ready for that yet, but, um, you know, give, give him some of these, um, give him some of these, uh, heavyweights, th these lower level heavyweights that just like to stand and bang. And, um, I, I think you're going to see some fun fights from Rosenstrike in the future. And 30 years old is, is like, is like a, fucking newborn in this heavyweight yeah. division <laughs> so <laughs> you know i i think there's some big things in the future for him so if you guys missed that because it was on the prelims even though i told you guys to watch it last week uh go back and check out junior albini and rosa strike um you know shitty situation for junior albini because here's a guy who came blazing out of the gates and now i think you know a couple losses in a row uh not looking good uh, he's going to be remembered most for being a guy that uh, wore that diaper. Um, but he was looking better. Like Albini leaned out a little bit, even though he still had to cut weight to make heavyweight. Uh, he looked much leaner. He looked good. Um, you know, wrestling was okay. Um, yeah, let's not put Rosenstrike against any wrestlers, though, because his takedown defense is, you know, he got taken out by Junior Albini, who's not like, you know, he's not like an all-American wrestler or anything. All right, I'll, I'll just breeze over the rest of this. Um, uh, Geraldo Freitas and uh, Felipe Calares, uh, this was a, an excellent fight. Very technical exchanges on the ground. Um, you know, very back and forth. Freitas coming away with unanimous decision. And then um, Saeed Nurmagomedov getting uh, the spinning back kick knockout over uh, Ricardo Lamo, uh, Ramos. Sorry, I almost said Ricardo Lamas. Uh, and then um, Bolgerio Bontarin getting the split decision over Magomed Bibilatov. Uh, this was a very close fight. Bibilatov missing weight as well and losing a split decision. So that seemed to be the trend for fighters who uh, missed weight. They lost split decisions on this card. And fucking good, as they should, because, um, you know, I, I still think there should be that point deduction uh, if you miss weight. Um any other thoughts on fight night 144, Jeff, before we uh, move on? Yeah, dude, just real quick for Rosenstrike um, at heavyweight. I'd actually like to see him against either uh, Rashad Coulter, who I know is going to be happy to stand and trade with him, mm. or like a Chase Sherman. Uh, I know Chase Sherman's lost quite a few of his last couple of fights, mm -hmm. but I think it would be fun to watch because they'll just stand and trade with each other. Yeah, well, I believe Chase Sherman was released from the UFC. But, um, if he finds his way back, I, that was, I was thinking about that too. That would be a fun fight. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's next for Rosenstrike, but I hope they make a smart move with him. Cause it, you know, let him work on his wrestling on the back end and then put him in there with strikers 
while you build him up because this guy, you know, he's got he's got potential to be a star for this heavyweight division. Um, so uh, hopefully they do the right thing with him. So next week we got um, UFC 234 headlined by Robert Whitaker, the middleweight champion, defending against Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, and this is a fun card. We got a lot of fun fights on here. But uh, let's just take a quick uh, breakdown of the main event. What are your thoughts on this one, Jeff? All right, Jeff is not there. So <laughs> we got Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum. So I guess I'll just take this one. Um, this is an interesting fight. Obviously, Kelvin Gastelum move, moved up from welterweight and uh you know has been doing really well at middleweight except for his fight with uh chris weidman where you know that seemed to be the one fight where size was a factor and you know he wasn't able to get it done kelvin gastelum i i always love what chael sonnen said about him when he was on the ultimate fighter where chael said kelvin i don't know what you're good at um because he didn't seem to, he's one of these guys who doesn't seem to be you know exceedingly good at anything in the gym and you know we've all seen guys like this before and and then chael at the end of the season said kelvin i figured out what you're good at you're good at winning fights <laughs> and <laughs> and that's exactly what kelvin gastelum is i mean he's like um he, you know he's like the tom brady of mma he just finds a way to win, you know, no matter what the circumstances is. Kind of funny. I say that today on Super Bowl Sunday, which um, I have no desire to watch. I, I don't think I'll even be tuning in for the Super Bowl this year. I just um, don't care. But uh, Jeff, give me your thoughts on this main event next week. Now that you're back. <laughs> yeah, sorry, dude. Uh, I heard a loud bang. Just want to make sure everything was okay. But dude, I am so excited for Whitaker versus Kelvin Gashalum. I'm a fan of both of these guys, Bill. And like you said, Gashalum, he doesn't really stand out in any particular area of MMA. I think that he's just pretty well-rounded. And, dude, I'll be honest with you, I don't know who to pick for this one. I mean, Robert Whitaker has really good um, takedown defense. His striking is top-notch, uh, you know, an excellent Muay Thai fighter. But um, Kelvin Gashalum, we've seen him win fights that, for lack of a better term, he wasn't supposed to win, quote. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, dude, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be exciting. Um, I, but I think it is going to be a grind game. I don't see any of these guys finishing the other. I think it's going to be a decision and it's the fight is in Australia. I think, um, is it in Australia, Bill? Yes, it is. In oh, Melbourne. Okay. So Okay, gotcha. Um, so if that's the case, Kelvin Gashalum, he's got to put on a, a performance where he's gonna have to he's gonna have to beat Whitaker very convincingly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, as the fan favorite, I think if it goes to a decision, unless Kelvin Gashalum does something spectacular, I, I could see Whitaker uh, getting the decision just because he's on home soil. But Bill, I'm excited for Israel Adesanya versus Anderson Silva. Bill, this is like when you're playing street fighter and you and your friend to pick the same guy <laughs> <laughs> and they just have different colored clothes on like these guys they have such similar styles man i think it's gonna be fun bill yeah I, i'm really excited for this fight you know i know a lot of people were like how could you feed anderson silva to this guy but you know my my thing is like Anderson Silva has only been outstruck once in his career. And that was against Chris Weidman in the first fight. Um, and he, you know, if you look at his record, you have to be a little bit concerned. You know, there was the fight against Derek Brunson, which he won, but you know, probably should have lost that decision. And then, you know, lost to Daniel Cormier, lost to Michael Bisping, um, he beat Nick Diaz, but that was overturned because he tested positive. And then the two losses of Chris Weidman. So not a legitimate win for Anderson Silva <laughs> since October 2012 against Stefan Bonner. So <laughs> I can understand why people are concerned putting him in there. But I'm excited for this one too, Jeff. I, I think, um, you know... You can't base Israel Adesanya's MMA potential on his last 
fight. You know, he knocked out Derek Brunson, but Derek Brunson flies face first into opponents <laughs> and yeah. takes a lot of hits, which you can't do with a technical striker like Adesanya. You know, we saw Adesanya have a hard time putting Brad Tavares away. And we've seen Adesanya have a, a weakness in the wrestling uh, before. So just something to consider. Uh, you know, he may be a much higher level striker, but, um, it, you know, he hasn't been in MMA as long and, um, that that'll make this a, an interesting fight. So let's just kind of breeze over the rest of these. Jeff, tell me, you know, what kind of, um, what kind of appeals to your palate here? We got jujitsu phenom, Ronnie Yaya against Ricky Simone. Uh, the 14 and one Ricky Simone. Uh, so that should be a really fun fight. I, I'm kind of, I'm really looking forward to that one. I always enjoy seeing Ronnie Yaya fight just because the guy is like a jujitsu wizard and a lot of people, you know, don't really know who he is. And, um, you know, Ricky Simone, uh, you know, he's got, he's very well rounded. Um, so I, I think this, is, this will be a, a fun one to keep an eye on. Then we got, uh, Dong Young Man against Devante Smith, the devastatingly powerful Devante Smith, um, it, you know, incredible performance in his UFC debut. And, uh, I'm looking forward to that one. And then we got Jimmy Crute, the undefeated Jimmy Crute against, uh, Sam Alvey. So that should be a fun one. You know, Sam Alvey fights on like every other card. Uh, <laughs> you know, can he end the undefeated streak of Jimmy Crute? And then we got, uh, let's see, looking down here. Um, oh, here we go. Lando Venata, uh, coming off that, uh, what I thought was one of the best fights of 2018 with Matt Frivola. Uh, and he's going to be fighting Marcos Rosa Mariano. Um, and, uh, yeah. T tell me out of those, Jeff, which one uh, piques your interest the most, and then if there's anything I missed that you want to talk about. Um, I like the Devontae Smith fight. I like Ricky Simone. He's really a really fun fighter to watch. But, Bill, I think out of all those you mentioned, the one I'm most excited for is Lando Venata. Um, you know, super exciting fighter to watch. Um, hardly puts on a boring fight. So I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for him. But, Bill, I'll be honest with you, outside of the main card, there aren't too many fights I'm excited for. Mm -hmm. um, the main event, the co-main event looked really exciting to me. Um, the Ronnie Yaya and Ricky Simone fight, like I said. Um, but I don't know, man. Maybe Jim Crute also uh, because he's undefeated so far. He's only 22 as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, Bill, it's kind of hard for me to get excited for this one. Yeah, and it – but those are usually the cards that are the biggest surprises. You know, it's like the, the, the fights are, you're like, yeah, all right, I guess I'll be watching this. Um, and then, you know, you have some awesome performances and it's funny. You mentioned street fighter before, because the guy fighting Lando Venata, his nickname is Dalsim, which is the, <laughs> if I remember, he's that guy, um, with like the stretchy limbs from, yep. and it, it makes sense because this guy's six foot one and he fights at lightweight. Um, oh, so I guess, uh, th that should be a fun fight. It, you know, if you're, if you're into street fighter references, I guess this is the card for you because you got, <laughs> uh, Adesanya and Anderson Silva, and then you got Lando Venata, um, and Dalsim. So, uh, all right. Fun card. I I'm looking forward to it. You know, the, the main event is enough to get me to tune in and, um, Real quick, before we break, Jeff, I want to tell you, I know I already told you about this, but uh, I picked up a new bottle of scotch this weekend, Ardbeg, which comes from uh, Islay, Islay Island uh, in Scotland. And um, it is fucking phenomenal, Jeff. I, I am really going to do my best to save some of it for you uh, when you come down here. But it's real smooth, real smoky, real peaty. But it doesn't have like... Um, it doesn't have much of a burn. Uh, and you know, I was, I was enjoying it a little bit too much last night, uh, while watching these, these fights in, in Fortaleza, you know, had a nice, uh, nice cigar from Nika Habana, which I know you're familiar with. And, um, yeah, just, a, a really, you know, one of my new favorite scotches, you know, I plan to, uh, 
to have this in stock in the bar. And I, I, I wanted to try it for a while. And what happened was I went to total wine, which is a, a liquor store near me. And, um, they, they had it in like a gift box. It was like kind of a funny looking gift box. And the guy told me it wasn't selling because of the box. And I was like, but is it the same bottle as the 10 year art bag right next to it? And he said, yeah, it is. And it was 40 bucks. And you know, this, this bottle usually runs between like 65 and $70. So I was like, sold and um definitely was not disappointed now one of my favorite scotches so Ardbeg scotch um you know check it out I'm, I'm gonna try and save some for you jeff i'm gonna do my best i promise i know you're coming down in a couple of months um so I'm, I'm gonna have to uh hide it from myself or something like that um you sipping on anything interesting or anything else you want to get off your chest this week my friend no, Bill. Unfortunately, I was running around. Uh, I almost missed the whole card because I thought it was on at ten. Actually, so <laughs> so yeah, Bill. I I raced home from wherever I was, and I got home just in time for the Charles Oliveira fight. Yeah, and yeah, it, that was uh, kind of funny when I texted you and I said, "Are you watching?" And you're like, "No, I only care about the main card, really." And I was like, "Well, that starts in like ten minutes." <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that was a, a great aspect of, of the ESPN plus is that it started early, much like the big Fox card. So hopefully that's going to be a trend. I, I would be very happy with that. Um, you know, if these things start early, uh, I don't know how I'm going to catch this fight next week because I'll be attending a wedding, but, um, you know, I'll definitely watch it and then we'll, we'll break it down at some point thereafter whether it be sunday or some other time but if you want to get a hold of jeff on social media it's at animal underscore wilson on twitter and you guys know how to get a hold of me it's at mma on the rocks everywhere on the internet um i'm not hard to find uh so come let me know what you guys are thinking and drinking out there until next time cheers everybody goodbye <laughs>